0: We've been going through a series on, uh, in the book of Titus, Uh, we are, what, this must be week three now, uh, and we've still got a few more weeks to go, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to go, I haven't been going systematically, so the first week, if you remember, we went straight to chapter two, just a reminder of the fact that we are saved by grace, and that we are empowered to live by grace. And the reason I did that, in case you missed it, was so that actually that becomes the foundation of everything, that we hear everything we put in place. Because uh, remember, these letters are written to be read as one, and so uh, if we kind of just hone in and start on one and progressively go through, we can sometimes miss the the context. But um, interesting this morning, the contributions that came through that spoke of the grace of God, that by His grace we are saved and we can come freely before him our Savior. And um, so this morning we're going to look at Titus chapter 1. Uh, we, we've also looked last week, remember we looked at how, uh, with a bit of the background, how Paul viewed the island of Crete, because that's where Titus was when he wrote the letter. Where how Paul viewed the island of Crete was very different to how the world viewed the island of Crete. And in the same way it is uh, true for us. How the world views crawley and the uk or even how we sometimes view it needs to be uh, is very different from how god views it and that actually crawley is strategic for the for the preaching of the gospel we have multicultures. we have the airport right in our boundary, uh, and so from here the gospel can go everywhere, as well as those who come can see and hear and experience God and then go. So actually, we need to start viewing our town and our nation in the same way that God does for the sake of the kingdom, rather than how the world sees it. That's a kind of a nutshell of the last two weeks, and this week we move on in Titus chapter 1. And... Um, the important thing is that, and I want to go back to the, the contribution from Tim and Yvonne about the, the, um, the Old Testament where the priests had to come before God. In order to do that, they had to fulfill all those different rules and regulations and everything else. And the priests were very separate from the people They had all these different things but we no longer live under that covenant. We're in the new covenant through the blood of Jesus. And that's important to understand and remember the whole way through this morning, and you'll see why. And that actually when we look at Titus, the, the book of Titus, Paul writes to him on Crete, and and his view of the island, of how the island is going to be impacted by the gospel, is by churches being started in every single town. And that actually as the churches are started, that the church then rises and becomes the vehicle through which the gospel is preached and people's lives are transformed. That same truth is relevant for us today. The way that Crawley is going to be transformed, the way this nation and the nations are going to be transformed, is not by placards and legal documents and everything else, but it is by the church, that's us catching something of the the passion for Jesus and the gospel message and the truth that comes from knowing him and being salt and light and impacting those around us from your neighbors to those you work with to the town to beyond that comes when the church rises and takes hold of that for which God has called and created us to and so actually we're to be fruitful in the kingdom to impact the world around us. And so as Paul says it, he says to him, he says to to Titus, go and appoint elders in every one of the churches, in every one of the towns, as I instructed. In other words, go and put leadership in, in those places. And so this morning we're going to look at some of what that means. Because the church needs to be agents of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not assimilating into culture so you can't tell the difference. But participating in culture so we have access and influence and can actually bring change. And in order for the church to do that it requires leadership. <coughs> Even the world understands that. You look at our nation at the moment, and I'm not going to go political, but just to say, you look at our nation, we look, we're needing leaders. That is same in the same is true in the, in the life of the church. The church needs leadership. And it's important, not that the leaders are be are separate or more important or of more value we know that's not right what is true is that actually we are all the same value all the same importance before god all have a role but leaders are not and called to do a specific role and that is to carry some of the weight and the authority to direct the affairs of the church we'll look at these in weeks to come as well when you can see them through chapter one where you just go through if you read chapter one of the the first pattern that it lays out what what the elders or the leaders are to do which is to direct the affairs to bring correct doctrine to correct those who are going off track to bring discipline to encourage to build up to direct the mission and the ministry of the church and all those things that's the role of leaders so that what so that the church would flourish so that the church would become and all it was created to be and to that every single one of us would step into what God has called us to and be who he's created us to be when we look at the world we see that all that stuff is needed in the world but it's the church that is the one that we're looking at this morning not that And as we see that in the church, then we actually step into um, uh, the impact that we have in the world. So leadership is incredibly important, but (coughs) what Paul says is uh, appoint elders in every town, and then he goes on to speak of the qualifications. I I, I don't really like using that word because I don't think that's what it is, but that's what most Bible commentators use, is the qualifications of what it means to be a leader. And so if we look at how we live in the world we live in, when we look at the situations that are going on in government and we look at all sorts of things, uh, even in work, in, in, in the marketplace, what people look for in leadership is very different from what God looks at. And the starting point in the world is very different from the starting point in the kingdom. The starting point in the world, they normally look at gifting, gifting, uh, uh, um, uh, qualifications in a little piece of paper that says you can do this we get all of that but what they look is at their education who they uh, uh, sometimes who their connections are and so it's more about gifting than it is about character the interesting thing is that actually what takes people out of leadership are usually character flaws even in the world and if you just think back, you know, when the queen passed and all those people, and you might have been one of them, gathered and went and paid the respects, and the hundreds and thousands of people, one of the key things as to why they were doing it is because they respected and loved her values, all the things she stood for, not understanding that actually she was a believer and the things that, that drew them to her was actually Jesus in her and how she lived those things out, which were to do with character. And not gifting and statementship, but actually honesty and integrity and all of those things, which the world hungers and longs for. But at the same time with leadership in the world, it's really interesting to see because they they put all these things as the prerequisites for leaders. You have to have this degree, you have to have that connection, you have to have done this, you have to do that, and then you are entitled to do this. And then if people mess up, then they complain and they throw them out and everything else. And it's it's almost like, that, and we've seen this in the, the, the news as well over the last few years and months, that the comment of, well, they think there's a different set of rules to them than to us, and the rules don't apply to them. And, and you can see some validity in that, but also I don't think most people apply the rules to themselves. Actually, it's, that's a bit of the pot calling the kettle black, really, because people generally live with this expectation of others that need to reach this, but are far more lenient and gracious on themselves. And actually, those rules, do not they should apply to them, and, and I, they lead us, and I'm not, and so that's the idea. And you see, that's what I look at this morning, is when we look at the kingdom of God, we, it's very different. If you look at the Old Testament, just what the guys bought as part of those contributions, I know it wasn't the, the main thing, but those priests had a different set of rules that they had to do in order to come before God. That's because of the Old Covenant. And sometimes that mixed with the understanding of the world, that these things that leaders should be, we we, we tend to put leaders in a different category to ourselves. And yet God doesn't do that. In actual fact, when we look here this morning, we look at some of the qualifications of leadership. The qualifications of leadership were never meant to separate the leaders from the people. They were meant to set them as an example to follow. That's what we read in 1 Peter. And in actual fact, those qualifications should be for every single believer. Because if we think, well, that's for leaders and this is for me, what we act, if you just follow that logically and your logical consistency of your theology and your understanding, you then have to apply that same principle to everything. If you think, well, those qualifications are higher because they're leaders and they have that position and not me, then you also have to apply to every other area and, and, well, they have to go before God and I don't have to. See how there's a significant link between actually how we view leadership in the Old Testament and how it was and how it is in the New And we live in grace and we live under the new covenant where each one of us has a responsibility. And our role as leaders is just different. But actually the requirement for leaders, basically what I believe it's saying is this is the standard requirement of Christian living. This is what a believer should look like. And so a leader who has got a specific role, part of that needs to be, you need to be an example. Not to lord it over, not to hold the high road or anything else, but to lead by example. And actually every believer needs to live like that. And the bare minimum of a leader is that they lead in those areas and they set an example. So when we look at these, please don't listen and think, well, actually that's for leaders and I'm not a leader, so it doesn't apply for me. If you're a believer, it applies to you because you are a child of God and have access to him like everybody else. As leaders, that's the bare minimum. We shouldn't not be doing those, but actually it's something every single one of us should be living out because we're not separate in God's eyes. Leaders are examples, but not separate from those things. Does that make sense? So when we look at the qualifications, I think there are some things that we need to look at and say, actually, this is a huge thing for us. And so this morning, I'm just going to actually look at one. Uh, uh, You can ask Lisa, I've had so many pieces of paper all over the place in the, well, it's not really a study, it's my son's room, and he's in university, so it's my study during term time. Everything, I've got a blackboard in there with all sorts of stuff up, and it's been a real challenge this week, what and where and how, and I want to look at one point, which is not normally true for me, but uh, hey, that's what we'll get onto this morning. But God's starting point is very different from the world. God's starting point is that of character and that in the home. Remember a number of weeks ago, I spoke about, actually it could be months, I don't think it's years, but I think it's months, (laughs) when we spoke about the fact that the church is a family, and when we view everything from that understanding that God is our father, we're his children, his family, then leadership is seen as, uh, as an example, but actually when we look at that, God's qualification for leadership starts in the home, starts with the character of the person, of how they lead. Why? Because he says very clearly, if someone cannot lead his own household... Well, how is he expected to lead the household of God? In other words, God's saying, and we're probably going to look at that more in detail next week, not next week, the week after, because Fred and Vanessa, but in other words, take care of your own household. And how we do that, and how we walk that out, and how we live our lives on that place of day-to-day, in private, in public, and all those things, that then enables us to be entrusted with a greater which is his household Which is the church And he starts with this And And if you look in Titus chapter 1 From verse 5 It says The reason I left you in Crete Was that you might straighten out What was un- left unfinished And appoint elders in every town As I directed you An elder must be blameless I'm just going to stop there Because that's what we're going to look at this morning the elder must be blameless. In other words, if you agree with what I said just now that we're no different from anybody else, we are to be blameless. Now let me just qualify. This is why we, I spoke a couple of weeks ago as a start to Titus, the issue of grace. That we are saved by grace through, through Jesus and we are empowered by grace by the Holy Spirit to live out all that God's called us to be. And this word blameless is not perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. Because no one is perfect except Jesus. But what it means is a closer under, uh, interpretation is above reproach. In other words, that every healthy Christian living should be above reproach. If you are wanting to be blameless, you can't pretend you're perfect or sinless. Because if you say you're sinless immediately, you are not blameless. If you read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7-10, to 10, it says that actually if we say we are without sin, we are lying, or we're causing God to be a liar. But actually, what we need to understand, is that if, if we understand that to be blameless means to be above reproach, not, it's not saying that we're sinless, it's we above reproach. If we claim to be sinless, then we're not blameless. But we need to be above reproach so that technically or not technically forensically we are righteous we are saved by the blood of Jesus remember a a couple of weeks ago when we looked at grace I said remember the pattern of the old testament that points to the new when the Israelite would come to the priest to offer a sacrifice for his sin what did the priest look at remember the priest looked at the lamb for imperfections not the person who did the sin In the same way as children of God, covered by the blood of Jesus, we come to the Father, and he looks at the Lamb, Jesus, and his perfection, and we are accepted, washed, clean, completely righteous. And so, forensically, you could use that term, we are righteous and spotless before him. So that's our acceptance, that's our position, that's who we are. But at the same time, being blameless or above reproach means although we are forensically righteous, we also must walk righteously. We must also walk holy in a way that actually there's no, there's no cause for anyone to be able to point the finger and, and accuse of, of wrongdoing, of immorality, of, of anything that is sinful. That's what he's saying. So as a believer... We are to be blameless. We are to be those who are above reproach. In other words, we are to be those who know that we are righteous and saved by the blood of Jesus and by grace, are empowered by grace and therefore can live a godly life in such a way that we live such a God, a good life, that people have nothing to say. And though they say all kinds of things about you, they have no grounds for that because of your your righteous living. And you can say, well, how do we do that? Two weeks ago, we are empowered by the Spirit of God to say no to ungodliness. Empowered by grace through the work of the Holy Spirit to walk righteously. And if we don't have Him, we have no chance of doing that. But because we are His children, we are empowered to live that out. And so I want to look this morning at how we live that out. Because it's quite simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. The first is this: is that the the key way to live blamelessly is we choose to follow him, to devote ourselves to God, to live in relationship with him. But we choose not to walk on the edges of what is godly behavior. So, not I don't know, skating on thin ice or playing near the edge of the cliff or walking on the edge. Of, uh, whatever analogy you want to walk, you get what I'm, uh, I'm meaning. We walk down the middle, saying, God, this is what it means to follow you. I'm I'm following you wholeheartedly. I'm not going to see how far I can push the boundaries, how far I can walk near the edge and think, well, if I do this, then technically I'm not doing anything wrong. But actually, you're raising a point where someone can accuse or or say, well, how is that not possible? You see, in the world we live in, that says that really anything goes You make it up and laws seem to be suggestions or applied to others but not ourselves. We need to be those who stand out and say, actually, this is what it means to live. That's what it means to be salt and light, is not to live so close to the world's way of doing things that they can't tell if you're a believer or not. But actually say this is what it means to be a believer. This is, what it, this is what I stand on. This is the truth I know. This, Not self-righteously or uh, pr- with, with full of pride and, and arrogance because that causes another whole lot of issues where we need to walk humbly, not full of pride because God opposes the proud. But it says he gives grace and more grace to those who are humble. So walking this way is not to be arrogant, not to be condemning of the world, but to be salt and light that attracts people to Jesus in you. Why? Because as the church, that's you and I, not some organisation. or you and I, we are to be salt and light and to be fruitful, so that when people see us, they see Jesus in us and are drawn to him. That's why we're here, not to build our little temples or empires or whatever, but to point people to Jesus. Why? Because the world needs Jesus. And the way the world sees Jesus is through his children, his followers, us. So though we're called to be in the world, we mustn't be of the world. Though we're called to be in the world and participate and set an example, it's not that we are so assimilated that they can't see the difference. Saying, so don't walk on the edges of what's right. Walk in the middle of what's right. Being above approach means that there's not even a hint anything wrong and so some ways you could say as we look at the rest of this book the umbrella that covers them all is this issue of being blameless or above reproach that's like an overarching overarching thing of being blameless and above reproach and this is how we walk it out we'll see all the different aspects as we go through the weeks but remember that that being blameless is is not to earn your salvation. It's not to earn your acceptance before God. And it's not so that you get some kind of pious status that you can then condemn others. It's so that He becomes more evident through you. So that we can walk with intimacy with him, with nothing that is in a barrier between us and him as we follow him wholeheartedly, devoted to him, passionately in love with him, obeying him and moving and impacting those around us. And so the being above reproach covers every area of our lives. Not just some, but every area. Our relationships, above reproach in our relationships, how we treat others. How we interact with others, our time, our work, how we live at work, the laws of the land, the the simple things of of our attitudes and our words and all of those different things. We'll pick up on some of those in a minute. But the way we do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit when we surrender to him. In Titus chapter 3 verse 1 it says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be, a, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward men. Obedience and making the adjustments. And so if we live in the world we live in, we should be those who are above reproach. We should be those who obey the laws. We should be those who people see that. You see, when we look at being blameless and above reproach, what that does is it unites our love and loyalty to God with obedience to his commands, his covenant commands. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Psalm fifteen? Psalm fifteen is a very short Psalm in the Old Testament and it reads like this Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill? Those whose walk is blameless, and who do and who does what is right, uh, what is righteous? who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. He does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man and honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath who even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. So many of those are picked up in the New Testament as this is how we live. But that Hebrew word for blameless is very similar and is linked to the Hebrew words for faithfulness, for integrity, and for being honorable. And so actually when we see that to be those who live above reproach, it links and combines our love and our passion and our loyalty to God with our obedience, integrity, honoring, And living as he calls us to live. It links those two together, and that's what we call to. And the purpose is to reflect him more. So some very practical things. How do we put it in place? Because I I believe the word of God is points and shows us everything about God and we that's why you can and he just reveals more and more and more so you can read the same passage of scripture year in and year out and God reveals more of who he is but it also is very practical that we take those things the truths of the word and we put it in our lives so that today and tomorrow we start living in a way that honors him and lines up with what he calls us to be so that we reflect him and and not in our own strength but empowered by the holy spirit And remember, it starts at home. It starts with your private world. What you watch, what you give your time to, what you focus on. But I think some things that we all need to look at is remember that as we devote ourselves to God and walk with integrity and without blame before Him or above reproach. You might think some of these things are silly, but you know, I think this. I believe this, not think I believe this. When we start on a journey... We start with the first step and we take one step at a time. And sometimes if you try and run before you can even crawl, you're not going to get there. So I'm not saying that we don't put other things, but I think if we battle in some areas, start small and just say, okay, today this is what I'm going to do. Not in my own strength, but God, you help me. And it's clear in scripture that we to obey the laws of the land. So can I just say, in a world where people do not obey the laws and Let me just give the caveat, unless the law contradicts scripture, we don't obey it. But I can't think of any laws in our society that we face day in and day out, that you and I face, that contradict what we can and cannot do. If it does, you follow God's law. If you need an example, look at Daniel. Daniel was a man, this is Old Testament under the law, he was a man so full of integrity and blameless, that when the people were trying to trick him and get him out of the position of authority he was put in, they figured that the only way they could ever do that was if it had pertained to something to do with his faith. If they brought in a law that contradicted his faith, that they knew that would cause an issue, because he would not move from his faith. But they could find nothing, nothing in his daily life, nothing in his dealings with the finances, nothing in the dealing with the laws of the land or anything else that they could even put a hint of anything that was wrong. Now, I ask the question, and it's a challenge for me as much as I assume it's a challenge for you. If that was possible for Daniel, who was in a land that was not his own. He was in exile. he had been given a new name. He was forced to read and study all their religions and everything else. If that was possible for a man in the old covenant, how much more possible is it for us in the freedom of the land we live in, with free access to God and to his word, that we can come before him with a of, how much more is that possible? To me that's a huge challenge but it's also an incredible motivation because imagine if the church took this seriously instead of saying well that's the that's the standard for leaders and I'm not a leader so I can do this but actually realize that's the standard of Christian living imagine the impact not just in the church context but the context of the world with the kingdom advancing and impact and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the the gifts flowing and people being impacted when the church rises and realizes that we need to live God's way, which is above reproach. So in a land where, and uh, uh, this country is probably better than some countries, certainly some of the people we pray for in other nations with the challenges they have, we kind of know that, but simple things of obeying the law that's from the smallest law all the way to the biggest however you grade that which includes how hard you put your foot on the accelerator of your car may I just say you see we're very clear that each one of us I think as believers we understand that there are no white lies and black lies, there's no small lie and big lie there's no small sin and big sin, sin is sin yet somehow as believers it pains me somehow believers think there's some laws that are small laws that don't need to be obeyed they're suggestions <laughs> and these laws need to be obeyed and do you know what every law is, should be obeyed unless it contradicts the word the smallest to the biggest and if you take any law as a suggestion you are sinning maybe just put it out there and do you know what COVID did? It exposed this incredibly. Not just for those who sit in government, who did things that broke the law, but even believers who bent the law to suit the even some in this church. Now that's not a condemnation, it's the reality. Is if we understand what it means to be blameless. You're either blameless or you're not. Can't partly. Simple thing of obeying the law. How we speak. Be blameless of how you speak. He goes on to speak about, and we read it in Psalm 15, not slandering, not speaking against, not how we speak. Not just what we say, not just the words we say, but sometimes how we say that. Is it blameless, James? Are you asking me to be a goody two-shoes? Yes, if that's what you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But actually, what I'm asking you is the same as what I ask of myself. Let's be an example of what it means to be a believer, so that we stand as salt and light. And the darker the world gets, the more brighter we will be. But let's not become dull, because if we become dull, then we no longer salt and light. We've lost our saltiness. What about integrity? Well, Actually, let me just jump back on the things we speak. Remember I said at the beginning it starts in the home. So how you speak if you're married, how you speak to your spouse. If you have children, how you speak to your children. And if you're a child, how you speak to your parents. How you speak at work, how you speak in society, how you speak at school. Everywhere. Why? Because we are believers 24-7. We are ambassadors of the King. And I've said that often. I've tried to get that image into our heads that an ambassador is one who lives in a place that is not their home, which is true for us. We live in this world, but it's not our home. Our home is in heaven. And so everything an ambassador does in the place they live is a reflection of the kingdom that they come from and that they represent. And if we understood that, then we realize we are here, not in the, we are not of this world. We are of his kingdom. Therefore, everything we do, everything we do is a reflection of him, our king, and his kingdom. Even when no one else is around, he sees. This isn't a heavy, because remember we look at the grace of God, and it's the grace of God that empowers us to be able to live like this. But we start with the small steps. Say, God, today, I trust you that, Holy Spirit, you're going to help me with what I speak, how I speak, when I speak. You're going to help me take my foot off the accelerator. And put some, I don't know, put an alarm. In. Our, wow, our car's wonderful. It yells at you if you go over the speed limit without understanding. So that's a good thing. With integrity, with our finances, taxes, benefits, whatever it is, don't look for ways around it. Walk in the middle. Trust God as your provider. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira, the scary couple who said one thing in, in, in Acts, that they were, had sold their land and they were giving all of that to, to the work of the kingdom and they withheld some of it, and then and they lied about that, and then they got taken out instantly? That's because, not because, you see, that land was theirs. They could, if, the thing was that they would committed before God that that's what they were going to do, and they didn't walk with integrity in it if they hadn't said that that money if they were just going to sell the land and just spend it on their own thing that would be fine but they had made a commitment before God and he held them for that and so to account to that and so the same as us with our finances and taxes and integrity at home, integrity at work integrity at school, integrity how we speak all of those things being above reproach as we end up this morning can I just encourage you that it's not being religious or legalistic because it's by grace that we live differently from the world it's not a list of do's and don'ts it's by grace we follow him and we are always accepted so remember at the very beginning forensically you are saved you are righteous, you are spotless now let's live in that way it's like you know how we understand that we love God and so therefore we love others And we've accepted his love and experienced his love, therefore it empowers us to love others. And our obedience to him is not to get his love, but because he loves us. In the same way, we are made righteous, so therefore let's live in a way that is becoming of someone who is righteous. That's what he's saying. So as in the weeks ahead, we look at all the different things. Please, can I implore you, don't think, well, that's for leaders and that's for me. It's for everybody. the very minimum, the leader should set the example in every one of these. And it's not to say that we're sinless, but what we should do is exactly what the Scripture says when you make a mess up and you sin, do what He says, which is confess, repent, and change. In other words, run straight to Him, not away. Don't carry on making excuses. Change. Come humbly, because we come to Him with humility and, and, and receive from Him but start in the small ones so that Jesus is more evident through us. The purpose of all of this is so that we reflect him to a world that is dying, that doesn't know him. That they would be able to say, well, they are believers. There's something different. What is it? What is the hope that you have? Who is it founded in? Why do you behave like that? Because this is not not pious or self-righteous but so that they see Jesus. And then we can speak of his love, the gospel, his saving grace. That's why we're here to be fruitful, to reflect him, to be salt and light. That's why we give ourselves to these things. And we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own strength. Our own strength is works, filthy rags, impossible to do anything. The power of the Holy Spirit, submitting to him, following him, we can do all things. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that through the work of your Son on the cross, we can walk intimately, closely with you. That we have access to you, that we are washed clean and righteous in our standing before you. Thank you for your grace, thank you for your love, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that today you would strengthen each one of us in our inner being, that we would be able to live out our faith in a way that reflects the truth of who we actually are. That we would be salt and light in the world we live in. And God, that we would hear your voice and follow in your footsteps living with integrity and obedience to your word, not because we have to prove anything, but because it's who you've created us to be. God, where we have sinned, messed up, fallen short, this morning we submit those things to you. We confess and repent of them, and we ask that by your Spirit you enable us to overcome them, that we would walk in fruitfulness. Thank you that we no longer have to offer sacrifices. We no longer have to do all of those things because we have access to you by the blood of your Son. Lord, I pray that we never forget that. But the truth of that transforms how we live. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in every single one of our lives for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom.